0: We're now going to turn to our two Bible readings for this morning. Uh, The first one is from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, and we're going to be reading from verse 16 to the end of the chapter, and you'll find that on page 1,000 of the Pew Bibles. Matthew, chapter 28. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. Our second reading this morning is taken from Paul's letter to the Romans. It's Romans chapter 6. We're going to be reading from verse 1 to verse 14. And you'll find that on page 1132 of the Pew Bibles. Romans chapter 6 and verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. And may God bless to us this reading from his word. Amen.
1: Wonderful. Great to be talking about baptism this morning. Um, I I thought it was a great illustration that that Don showed us earlier. And actually it reminded me of of a baptism I went to about eight or nine years ago. It was was at a different church. And uh, we had a, a sort of an inflatable pool, probably not much bigger than that really. And it was full to the brim with water. And uh, on this particular occasion, the person, who was a guy in his late teens, early 20s, who came to be baptised, and uh, he he climbed into the pool, and uh, as he went down, there was this almighty splash as the water sort of billowed out uh, over the, the lip of the pool and went everywhere. Now, uh, everyone just thought, well, that's just part and parcel of being baptised. But I knew different. I knew that there were a whole series of electrical sockets down by the, that pool. So, so I quickly, while well, everyone was, you know, um, really overjoyed, I ran to the back, got a mop from the cupboard and secretly ran round. And when everyone started praying, well, I got the mop and I started mopping up so that, you know, the church didn't catch fire or the, the person who'd just been baptised didn't get electrocuted or something like that. And, uh, and at that very moment there was this gentle ripple of laughter uh, which got louder and louder until the vicar who was praying stopped, looked round at me and said, look everyone, it's Mrs. Mop." And then, he, uh, then, then everyone else carried on laughing. So a, a particularly <laughs> memorable baptism for me. But actually it, it raises a serious question, doesn't it? Why, that, that young man in his late teens, early 20s, it raises a serious question. Why would you want to be baptised? Why would you want to do it? Why would you want to be baptised? And hopefully we'll get something up on the screen. Great. Why would you want to be baptised? In a culture that is that is increasingly hostile to the Christian faith, to Christian belief, why would someone want to, to publicly recognise that they are a follower of Jesus Christ? Like, like Katie was saying earlier, going down and, and in the sea and being baptised in front of, not just, yeah, the church and friends and family, but... But people walking past, why would you want to do that now? Whether you are someone who, who hasn't been baptized, or maybe you were baptized as an infant or as an adult, I want you to see from the Bible why the church has been baptizing people for 2,000 years and why all of us need to think about it this morning. Why baptism? Well, firstly, we do it because it's it's a command from Jesus. We want to obey him. And look back in our Bibles at Matthew 28. Uh, If you close your Bibles, please open them up again. Uh, Page 1000 and Matthew chapter 28. Let me read from verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. After Jesus rose on that first Easter Sunday, he told his disciples to to go and proclaim the good news so that people will follow me and be baptized. That's why the church has been doing it for, for 2,000 years. We want to obey what Jesus has said, to go and tell the news, to make disciples and to baptise them. But what about you? Why would you want to be baptised? Perhaps you're sitting here this morning and, and you've got a few objections. Perhaps you're not sure that it's that important in the grand scheme of things. Perhaps you don't feel special enough, you don't want to make a uh, you don't want to make a, a public show. You're not feeling that you're not deserving of that. You don't want to make a fuss. What about, actually, if it means that you might be teased or bullied, whether that's by, by people at school or at work or even people in your own family? Maybe if you're thinking, well, if, if God accepts me on, on faith alone, then why would I need to be baptised? Well, the reason you should think about being baptized is because it's all to do with what baptism points to. All to do with what it points to. And what baptism points to is union with Christ. Union with Christ. Union with Jesus. Well, what do we mean by union? Well, we have have different types of of unions. We have a a marriage union where, as we've seen with with Matt and Steph, a a man and a woman come together. They are united in marriage. We have marriage unions. We even have uh, union jacks. We have uh, the United Kingdom. We have the union jack or the union flag with all the different countries symbolized together. We have marriage unions. We have flags with unions on them. But union with Jesus means something really special, really special. It means being grafted into him, grafted into him, like, like connecting on a, a plant to, to another plant so it, it receives all its growth and all its sustenance. God connecting us to Jesus Christ eternally. That's what it means to have, have union with Jesus that's what it means to be a follower. And we see this in our Romans 6 passage. So uh, please do turn turn on to, to Romans 6 on page 1132 and we'll be looking there. But let's, let's, uh, let's now have a quick prayer as we come to think about what, what Paul is saying about union with Christ. Father, we thank you for, for baptism and we thank you for... For this teaching on, on union with Christ and what baptism points us to. Lord, wherever we are at this morning, help us to, to think about baptism, whether we've been baptised or we haven't yet. Lord, please lead us into your truth. Amen. Well, let's look at the, this passage in Romans 6. And this is why baptism is so important, because it points to union with Christ. And what we're going to do in this passage, we'll break it up into three different ways. Paul talks about union with Jesus and how baptism is is like a signpost. It points to that truth. Firstly, baptism points us to union with Christ in his burial, in his burial. Look Look at verse three. This is how it demonstrates it. This is what Paul says. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? What Paul is doing here, actually, first off, is assuming that if you are a Christian, you have been baptised. There isn't, there isn't another category for Paul. There isn't the, 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 the baptised Christians and, and the followers of Jesus Christians. They are one and the same. If you follow Jesus, you should be baptised. He sees that part of the, the same conversion experience. And he starts by saying that baptism is firstly a pointer to being united with Jesus in his death. In his death. That means for the Christian that it's as it's if you were there with Jesus on that Good Friday. When, when he died, there was a part of you that died too. When you are united with Jesus by, by placing your faith in him, a death happens. The death of your old self. It's like a, it's like a gravestone marking once, what you once were. This is the first thing that baptism points us to. Not, to. not to life. We'd love to say that, yes, baptism is all about new life. But actually it starts off by saying, a death takes place first. That's what Paul is saying. And he carries on. Look down at verse 4. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Paul now helps us to see why, why he starts with baptism as, as pointing to our union with Jesus' death. He, he helps us to understand it. And it's because death has to come first if there is going to be New life. We'll get to the implications of this new life in a minute, but first I want us to think about what it means to be united with Jesus in a burial like his. Now, as we've already said, when, when someone is, is baptized as an adult, they have the option of what we call a full immersion baptism, like, a, like what Katie had, well, I suppose it was a double full immersion baptism as the wave knocked them over again. Uh, But but actually, like I was saying with the story earlier, that that the whole of them is plunged under the water. And actually, that's a really good illustration of what God does on the inside when someone receives Christ into their life. It's a really fitting illustration of what goes on. Just as like, like the person goes down into the water, symbolizing that there's been a death, Well, actually, that's pointing to what has happened in the Christian's life. Christian life actually starts with death. Now, of course, Paul isn't saying that we were were literally buried with Jesus, like some kind of I'm a celebrity, get me out of here challenge. But when Jesus died and was buried, the, the old life of the Christian, our old lives died too with him. The part of us that we'll go on to see later was a slave to sin. A slave to sin. that person has died. Well, we've seen sin discussed a lot in the news this week with various politicians asked whether they think certain things are sin or not. And perhaps you're sitting here this morning and think, well, actually, I'm not even sure that, that what sin is. I'm not even sure I believe in sin. Well, the Bible tells us what sin is. Sin is preferring anything more Than God. That's why sin has I in the middle. It's putting I, it's putting me first and God second. And we're all guilty of that. I know I am. That's what sin is though. It's putting our interests in front of God's. But this is why baptism is so wonderful. Because baptism points to the fact that being united with Jesus in his death and burial, we have died to sin. Now, death is obviously something normally that we mourn, something that causes us great grief, with one exception, and that is the death here. This is not a death to be mourned. This is a death to be celebrated. The death Paul is talking about here is something wonderful. And that's the first reason for why someone who is a follower of Jesus should be baptised. Secondly, we see that that baptism not only points to being united with Christ in his burial, but it also points to being united with Christ in his resurrection, in his resurrection. You see, baptism isn't just a pointer to, to, to dying with Jesus, but actually it's a pointer to being made alive with Jesus. This is the great hope of what it means to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus. It means you are united with him. In his resurrection. That death is not the end. Two weeks ago today we were, we were celebrating that fact on Easter Sunday. As we thought about the fact that, that Jesus rose again. To eternal life. But do you understand for yourself personally. And actually this morning is a good touchstone to think about that. Do you understand for yourself personally why that is such good news? Yes it's great that Jesus rose again. But why is that good news for you? It's because his resurrection that he experienced 2,000 years ago can now be our resurrection as well. We are united with him in a resurrection like his and we have this wonderful hope that death is not the end, that we will live with him forever. That's why Easter is so exciting. That's why we make a a big deal of it. Not just because Jesus rose again, but because Jesus was raised and we are united with him, we have confidence that we will be raised with him as well. And when you believe this, when you trust in this, it means you no longer have to fear death as the final enemy. As baptized Christians, we can, we can live a transformed life, knowing that we don't need to fear what lies beyond death. We don't need to fear it. Because Jesus has defeated that. He showed us that on the cross. He showed us that in the empty tooth, tomb. Jesus has defeated it. We anticipate this, this wonderful day of, of living with Jesus in the new creation. And I can have 100% 100 confidence that that is my future. Because we are united with him. We are are glued together with him in his resurrection. And Paul shows us the consequences of this belief. Look down at verse 9. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. Death no longer has mastery over him. That's what baptism points to. That's why it's such a wonderful thing. It's a public declaration that because we are united to Jesus, death no longer has hold over us. We no longer need to fear it as our enemy. Baptism is like like a megaphone to the world, booming out. The life I used to live Died with Jesus. But the new life I now live, that won't ever die. Christians need to understand this. Christians need to, need to declare it. We need to not just believe it, but, but talk about it with, with each other and, and the people that God places around us. Death is not the end for us. And sin is no longer our master. Paul is telling us this because he wants us to understand and to believe that our old lives, where we were once slaves to sin, well, that old life is dead. It's as if someone has has cut it. There's been a break. And our new lives are not characterized by slavery anymore but by freedom. You see, this is why baptism is so wonderful. Not only does it point to the fact that we died with Christ and we will be raised with Christ, but it also points to the fact that we can experience freedom from the power of sin and death. Look down at verses 1 and 2 in in Romans 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? If you put your trust in Christ, what hope do you have that you can actually live a new life? Yes, united with Jesus, your old life has has been buried. And the consequences of that life has been done away with. And yes, united to Jesus, you've got this this hope of heaven in the future, being with him. But what about today? What about Monday morning when you're facing temptation? When you're tempted to sin, what is your defense going to be? Is it going to be, well, just try a bit harder next time? That's not what Paul says. That's not what Paul is encouraging the church in Rome with. What Paul is saying here is that those who have died to sin are no longer slaves to it. What is our relationship to sin then? Is it still our master dictating how we should behave? If we're united to Jesus, then we have to say no. We have died to it. It's not a case of just try harder. It's a case of we are dead to it as master. And I think too often, and, and I've been guilty of this, we often talk about struggling with sin, as if it's this, this overwhelming enemy that we just can't seem to deal with, particularly if it's, if it's the same old sin. We talk about struggling with it. But Paul doesn't use that language. Paul says, don't go on sinning like before. Because you are dead to it. He doesn't say struggle against it as your master. He says you're dead to it. This is how you won't give in to sin on Monday morning. Not by trying harder, but by knowing that you are dead to it as master over your life. Like, like a magnet that, that's lost its charge, that it's now neutral. It doesn't, doesn't react in the same way it once did. Have hope. What you once looked for in in sin, or maybe you're still looking for, whether that's your identity or for fulfilment or or for release or some sense of satisfaction, when you're united to Jesus, and maybe let me remind you of this this morning, only Jesus can give you that fulfilment that we look for elsewhere. Only being united to Jesus can do for us what our old master could never do. Now this is not the same as saying we won't sin again. And, and Paul picks that up later on in Romans. How wonderful it would be to, to live in a world where there was no sin. And actually we do look forward to that truth one day when our Lord Jesus returns. But that's not what Paul's saying. Rather Paul is saying that there is a direction And he's reminding people of their baptism and and the truth of what their baptism points to to help them remember this direction. Not instant perfection, not people who are practically perfect in every possible way, but growing godliness. And what does this growing godliness look like? Well, look, he he answers that in, in verses 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Jesus Christ. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. He's saying don't keep offering yourself to evil as if it's this overwhelming master that's keeping you down. Paul says don't act as if you're its slave of letting a dead kingdom tell you what to do. Being bossed around by by Satan or by sinful desires or letting old habits or behaviours govern you. You are dead to those things. Remember that. Remember your baptism and what it pointed to. So why would you want to be baptised? were to show that because you are united to Jesus, you are dead to those things. Charles Wesley got it. He talks about his own experience of being united to Jesus. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Freedom from slavery. Well, what should we do instead of living as a slave? Look at the second half of verse 13. But rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law but under grace. What should you do instead of living as a slave? Well, Paul says, offer your whole self to God. Your whole self to God. That is how you act out your freedom. By giving God your all. Giving him all of you. No part of you is, if, is off limits. Not to try and earn his acceptance. Because if you are united to Christ... You already have as much acceptance with God as his son did. We're not trying to earn God's acceptance here. We already have it if we receive that gift. No, rather we serve him because we are free to do so. And that's the dynamic of baptism. It's not about what we are doing for God. It's about acknowledging what he has done for us in Christ Jesus. There's a wonderful lady called Helen Rosevear, who was a missionary in Africa for many years and came back to live in this country and uh, unfortunately died a few years ago. But incredible woman. And uh, she said something uh, about five years ago that still sticks with me to this day. And she got it. She understood the dynamic here and what baptism was all about. She said, it worries me today when young people come to the Lord and you're asked to give your testimony and you say, you've made a commitment. Forget it. Forget it. There's no commitment. He has made the whole commitment to you. He's committed his life to you. He's committed his death to you. And he's given you this amazing privilege to live for him. Baptism is not about what we do for God. But it's about recognizing what God has already done for us. That is why Christians want to be baptized. They want to live for Jesus. So if you are here this morning and you are a Christian, but you haven't yet been baptised, can I encourage you to think and pray seriously hard about it this week? If Paul was here, he'd have no idea why you hadn't already have done it. So let the Apostle Paul be your motivation, if nothing else. But if you are here and you have been baptised, whether that was as a, a child or as an adult, Maybe even you've, you've wandered away and you've come back here this morning and you think about your own baptism maybe all those years ago. Well, that's great that you're here today to think about it, isn't it? Think about, then, what God wants you to know about what your baptism points to. It points that through being united to Jesus in his burial and his resurrection... Just by receiving that gift, you can leave your old life behind. Have eternal life and experience true, lasting freedom. That's why you want to be baptized. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a God who speaks. And Lord, we thank you for how those 2,000 years ago to your disciples gathered on that mountaintop, you instructed them to go and make disciples and to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord, if we're here this morning, we haven't been baptized, but we are seriously thinking about it, Lord. Help us to think about it more, Uh, Lord. And if there are objections or things that we're scared about, Lord, help us to see your power over those things. And Lord, if, uh, for people here who, who have been baptised maybe recently, maybe a long time ago, Lord, help us to remember what our baptism was about. It's not about what, what we do, but about recognising what you have done in us, uniting us to you in your burial, Lord Jesus, uniting us to you in your resurrection, Lord Jesus. And that means that we can experience right now freedom from sin as our master. Lord, please use us and... Empower us by your Holy Spirit, we pray, to live out that authentic baptism witness. Amen.